Welcome to the Advanced Relationship Podcast. After 13 years as a marriage and family therapist and relationship coach, I'm here to answer your questions and teach you what I know about the great masculine and feminine dance and how you can create the most intimate, loving, and powerful relationships on the planet. handsome, loving, incredible husband, Bryce. Back again. So we're in it with all of you, and it feels good to be here. And Bryce and I just love being able to bring this information to all of you. We love learning about it and then being able to share it. And podcasting is intense for us. Yeah, we block out four hours to do the podcast because we hit inevitable bumps and disagreements on how to approach things how to start stuff comes up this is probably one of the most challenging things that we do together there's so many things that come easy and this one is not one of them Mm -hmm. yeah yeah we notice that like when we're in the flow and it's just flowing it feels really good and it feels like we're able to really share with all of you what matters to us and getting into the flow here can be tricky so we have just found that if we work with that reality and give ourselves space and time then it seems to, yeah, give us the opportunity to get here together and connect with all of you. Yeah, for sure. It's nice because I'm guessing if you're listening to this, you're like, oh, it seems like Bryce and Jenny are real connected and flowing whenever I hear them talk. And that's just not always the case. No, no, no. We cut out what isn't flowing and working because we want to serve all of you and get out the info. But I think maybe part of what also can serve you is knowing that about us. Yeah. Okay, cool. So, um, any announcements? Still running my men's groups. Two running, full speed. Awesome. Guys are loving it. Might even start a third that will be at a noontime, mountain time. Not sure yet. Depends if I get enough interest. So, if you're interested, reach out to me at Bryce at BryceBauer.com. Great. Thanks, Bryce. And I am getting ready to start a women's group as well. So, we're going to have both men's and women's groups running. I'll be hosting a women's group that's going to start the second week of August, and we're getting close to getting full. So if you're interested, shoot me an email at jenny at advancedrelationshipacademy.com, and we're going to start the second Wednesday of August is going to be our start date. Okay, I think that's it then, huh? Yeah, other than if you're looking for couples work or individual work, you can reach out to either of us, both of us. If you're wanting to get some support in your relationship, now's probably a good time. Awesome. And, oh, and if you're liking this podcast, if it's serving you, if you're learning things, then go leave a review. And we love to hear what you're experiencing as you're listening to the podcast and what you're getting out of it. And it also helps other people to find this information. So today we're going to be doing our third series in the core differences. So there's five core differences by Brent Atkinson. We've already talked about the first two. And today we're talking about core difference number three. So core difference number three has to do with the degree of structure, how much structure is in place. There's two types. There's a predictability first type and a spontaneity first type. And quick review of core differences. 
The reason he uses first is because that's the doorway that you tend to lean towards, especially if you're under pressure or feeling anxious or stressed. It doesn't mean that you don't embody both sides, but this is the one you go to first. Over time, the more and more you develop and the more and more you create balance in your own life, you might find yourself balancing between the two. But again, you'll notice when you go into stress, there's usually one that you lean to the most. Mm -hmm. Now, it can also depend on who you're with. So if you have a partner who's holding the other side, then the polarity can be strong and sometimes that will lean you more heavily to one way than you would normally. So for example, you might be a predictability first person, but if you partner up with someone who's even more of a predictability first person, you might lean a little bit more towards spontaneity first in order to help balance that. So there's just different ways that the polarity can play out. Energies are always trying to balance, and that's one of the things that we wanna look at today. Yeah, and I think there's other factors here too. Like if you're more passive, you might find yourself often trying to stick with what your partner wants and it continually feels not good for you. Versus the aggressive side where you're trying to like hold your position and try to fix and change them. Yeah, so there's all these, I mean, I kind of see like quadrants here and there's these different camps you could Mm -hmm. fall into and not just the one or the, the other, but then different degrees of how much you stick to your side as well. Yeah, I like that. And that's one of the huge benefits of coaching and getting some outside eyes on your situation is sometimes someone else can help you see the other angles that things are playing out on that maybe you actually don't fully see. So kind of like those blind spots. So that feels really helpful as you say that. Okay, so should we dive into the two types? Yeah, let's do it. Okay, so I'll go ahead and read predictability first. And for Bryce and I, because we like to go through the info and then we share a little bit about our personal experience, how we deal with it, and then we may even share what we see as we work with couples. Yeah, we happen to be opposite on everything. Mm -hmm. So I think we can speak to how to navigate each one. Yeah. So with predictability first, you seek security, predictability, and order first. Then you feel safe to experiment within the safe parameters. The dream is to have a safety net so that life feels more stable and less anxiety provoking. The fear of accepting influence is that if you don't plan it, it might not happen and life will be out of control. And the critical stance of someone who's predictability first to someone who's spontaneity first, their critical stance is you're reckless. Okay, so that's predictability first. And do you wanna read spontaneity first? Sure. So spontaneity first, this is where I lean. And this is someone who seeks adventure, creativity, open-endedness first, and the rest will fall into place. The dream is to avoid boredom. Life is an adventure. Fear of accepting influence is slowly dying of boredom. Life will be dull and meaningless. And the critical stance of your partner might be you're boring or you're a coward. Yeah, awesome. Mm -hmm. So again, Brent Atkinson talks about these are not just preferences. They're actually ways of navigating life so that you feel more stable. Right. This is really about how you're wired. Yes. This happened probably in childhood. And it's probably not going to change a whole lot. Mm -hmm. I mean, you'll learn to integrate, but you're probably going to lean on one or the other Mm -hmm. for most of your life. And what can happen is you can get stuck in one believing that one is right and the other is wrong, that there's like a moral aspect to these differences, which Brent Atkinson also says can keep you stuck versus, oh, these are differences again in how the wiring is and in how we're navigating life. And each has its pros and its cons. And what you want to be able to do is be able to utilize both sides for the benefit of yourself and then for the benefit of the two of you as a couple. Yeah, I like that, Jen. Yeah. And I'm curious to ask you if we're going here, like how do you think your predictability first wiring got installed 
Yeah, it's so interesting because th- this is the one of, of all of them, this is the one that feels a little bit more balanced for me within myself. Mm-hmm. So there's a part of me that thinks I'm predictability first, and there's a part of me that feels like I fall more into spontaneity first. So even on like my personality assessments, like Myers-Briggs, I fall into the P, which is a little bit less structured than the J, for example. But at the same time, I think when I get stressed, and especially with Bryce, and, and when I look at partners in general, well, it's hard to know. But the thing that helps me assess that according to this model, I seem to fall into predictability first, is my fear of accepting influence and the critical stance. Those two really resonate mm-hmm. for me more with predictability first. So I really do have a deep belief that if you don't plan it, it might not happen. Like if you don't create a structure to support something, my experience has been then sometimes it just doesn't happen. But growing up, my mom would say that as a child, I would just go with the flow. Mm -hmm. Like whatever was happening, I would just kind of go and follow. I'm wondering if part of it is that my parents were pretty good at making things happen. I think I really felt like I could just kind of go with the flow because I felt really safe growing up as a child. Mm -hmm. I think on some level, I felt very safe and just really well taken care of. So I don't know. There's a lot of pieces coming up here for me. That get me curious. So you're saying that your life was predictable enough that you didn't really notice uh, a strong pull to make it more predictable or more safe because it already was? I think that's probably it. And then you were able to operate in a spontaneous way. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. I think that's true. It reminds me a little bit of the attachment work that we've learned and talked about, where if you have a secure home base, you feel more free to explore and just play and relax. So I do think that was probably what was happening for me. Right, right. Yeah, and I can see for me having a very spontaneity first bend, it's maybe easier for me to see you as predictability first because I'm pretty polarized there. I mean, less now. I mean, obviously, I've I've moved way more into I need predictability in my life now. Mm -hmm. But, I mean, growing up and then in in my younger years, it was all spontaneity for Mm -hmm. the most part. Yeah, that's a really good point. So I think that helps people to see like those kinds of polarities will have an impact on how one person perceives the relationship. So you're saying, Bryce, that because you were actually quite polarized in this area, when we come together, you can see me as as very much a predictability first person because you hold that side so strongly. Right, right. Yeah. And I'd say that seems true to me in our relationship as well. Yeah. And it's also something that attracted me to you, I think, was coming into a relationship where you just seem so solid in your life. And yeah, there's a lot of predictability there that I was looking for. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's cool because, well, you know, as we were reading through this, one of the things I said to Bryce today as we were reviewing them is, man, these are both so important. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And just as I said that, I was thinking like, if you're like, why am I opposite and all these things? It could be, if you're anything like me, that I was subconsciously kind of searching for more predictability because I had so much spontaneity in my life. Mm-hmm. So if you're finding you're different here, this might actually be a really amazing opportunity to grow and integrate. And there's a reason why you've attracted this partner who might seem so different from you. Mm-hmm. That seems so, so true. Yeah, and you've really mentioned as you, because it's not just about him getting it from me in the relationship. That's part of it. But the other part is, you know, you've talked a lot about just developing that predictability first side more in yourself. So developing more routine within your own day to day life, for example. So this is what's cool about relationships too, is it gives you a chance to kind of experience that other side of certain differences. 
and then learn how to integrate more and more both sides into your own self for your self-balance as well as finding balance in the couple. And I'm thinking about a specific example that might come up with couples who are in these different camps. And one thing that's coming up for me is trip planning. Mm-hmm. Could be financial planning too, but I'm, I'm thinking trip planning, this could come up a lot. So it's the summer and you have a family trip that you're wanting to do and one person is like, you know, we'll figure it out. Every year we go out, we do it, it's great. We don't need to know all the details. The other partner's like, no, I wanna know. Where are we going? Do we have the stuff booked? Do we have all the supplies? What's the weather gonna be like? What do we do if this happens? Mm -hmm. And if both people are judging each other on how they're doing it and they're not feeling seen in their way, this could create a lot of conflict. And it could pop up throughout the trip. Mm -hmm. Definitely. So also money and finances, like planning for the future there. And it's interesting. This reminds me a little bit of what we talked about last time in the number two core difference, investing in the future versus living for the moment. Mm -hmm. I was almost surprised that he separated these out because they're a little similar. But I think anywhere where you're, like you said, you're planning something, you're wanting to prepare for something. But it can also happen in the moment. So yeah, money and finances seems like a place where this can come up. Even sex. Mm -hmm. So for some couples, it's really important to plan sex. It's really important to plan for times when they're going to take time to connect with their own bodies and connect with each other. And for some people, they just want it to be spontaneous. Yeah, and I see this, you know, you have a bunch of stuff going on throughout the day. Everyone's got work. You're taking care of the kids. You lay the kids down and it's like, hey, let's just do it. And the partner's like, hold on, like... I'm not ready, I'm tired. And then the other partner feels rejected, let down, and this can just keep cycling and cycling. Yep. Social situations, this can come up a lot in social situations. So I even noticed this a bit for me, both with us as a couple, but even just for me as an individual. Like sometimes I don't do enough prepping and planning for me to have the social connections that I want. And so, you know, an evening might come and I'm feeling a longing to socially connect, but I haven't, it's like a whole week that I don't have plans, I haven't made plans for. So yeah, finding that balance for me individually as well as for us as a couple between planning things and also sometimes just plans rise last minute. Someone calls us, someone's suddenly available, or we reach out to someone last minute and they're available. So spontaneous plans can also be really fulfilling for me but it's for me, it's finding that balance so that it feels good. Right, right. We've been kind of working with that over the weekends because sometimes we won't, we'll go through the whole week and we haven't really planned anything over the weekend and then we'll end up spontaneously doing something with just you and I, which is easy. But yeah, it is tough with families and everything to, mm-hmm. to structure things in. So mm-hmm. yeah. yeah, and I, I'm noticing how this plays out with my friends sometimes where I'll be like, hey, like, let's do this on this day. And someone's like, I'll probably be there or I'll let you know. This is where I can fall into the predictability first camp where I really want some some structure here. Mm-hmm. I don't want to just figure it out on the fly because it, it might not happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So it's finding that balance and also noticing like when you feel resistant to planning because there can also, some of it's the differences issue here, but some of it can also be just other emotional stuff, right? Where... With certain people, it might feel good to plan ahead, but with other people, you might feel resistant to that. So just kind of watch that. That's a place where you can get a lot of information. Yeah, but as far as intimate work too, another one I'm seeing is relational work. This Mm -hmm. is a big one. So if you have one partner that's wanting to really figure out ways to sort through conversations easier 
and to have systems in place and to maybe go to coaching or therapy and the other person is like no I think like we can just figure this out on the fly like see we just did things are fine I imagine that every time this comes up we'll just keep figuring it out I mean that can create a lot of uncertainty and insecurity in someone who's predictability first and it can create a lot of pressure on someone who's spontaneity first because they're like ah like I don't really want to structure in time to, to talk about things that are they're difficult. Yeah, that's a really good point. And I know we've kind of moved between the two, which has been helpful for me. And so like at times, Bryce and I have had a very structured check-in in the mornings. Mm-hmm. Or at one point we had a structured day where we would actually have like an hour or two on a certain morning right. during the week where we would check in. Um, or we've had like a very specific, like once a month we meet with a coach together, whether we're doing good or not good. So we've we've had different structures in place to help support us in our relational work. And I think we've also been pretty flexible. Like we've allowed that to morph and change and shift. So it's right. been helpful, I think, to tap into both of these through that process. Yeah. How, how would you work with a couple who's going through this and who's in different camps and not quite understanding how to integrate? One thing I would really want to do with a couple is I would actually be really curious to understand where each of them falls into each. So I like working with polarity for a few reasons. On one level, I think polarities are interesting in that one side actually can't exist without the other side. That's what makes it a polarity. So I tend to feel curious, even though we're talking about it as being polarized within a couple, I think one thing I'd want to do if I were working with a couple is I'd want to dive down and see individually where are each of them actually a predictability first and where are each of them actually spontaneity first because i think individually you're going to find that the both sides of the polarity exist right so helping someone see how they're also on the other side in a different area will bring in more compassion and understanding for their partner exactly Exactly. And then I also really like the rest of Brent Atkinson's process where he talks about how to actually go through the process of communicating about differences in a non-judgmental way. So I think Mm -hmm. if you can get to a place where you can each own with compassion each other's way, then you have a chance to start diving in and start integrating together. Another way that's coming up for me to work with this, and this is really interesting, I I like this, is is going into each person's fears. Because if if we get down to the core, usually it's actually the same fear that Mm -hmm. both of them have. So I'm looking at a predictability first person. Ultimately, they're thinking if it doesn't get planned, it's not going to happen, and they're not going to have control of their life. And they're going to probably feel hopeless and scared and alone. And the same thing goes for the spontaneity first person. If we dig into the fear, it's dying of boredom. Life will be dull and meaningless. And it's the same thing. I won't have control of my life. It'll just be Groundhog Day every day. And so my life will be boring and meaningless. And I'll feel sad and alone. And ultimately, I'll just feel really uncomfortable. That is such a good point that at the base, they're actually the fear is the same. As you say that, I can really see that. I can see that when I'm in both positions. Yeah, there, there's almost there's only a handful of core fears, and it's being alone, it's dying, it's not having control. I mean, ultimately, and then it's really just having this this feeling, this this feeling that's so uncomfortable. It could be shame, it could be fear, it could be sadness, it could be anger. That's so overwhelming that you can't handle it, and you feel like you will collapse mm-hmm. or explode mm-hmm. and die. Yes. And with this one, I'm really seeing the sense of like losing things, like 
losing time, losing money, losing experiences, losing opportunities, things that would actually create a sense of not just stability, but would create a sense of joy, fun, freedom, connection, and how at the base, like you say, at the base of both of these, I would say that really resonates for me that the base of it is a fear of not being able to control your life and create what you want. Right, right. And even when I said die, I think it's it's not always a literal dying, but it's almost a, a dying of the ego, a dying of an identity, of a, a way of life, of a dream, and having to grieve that. And I'm also curious to know, how do you see this play out with couples that you've worked with? Yeah, so the, the word that's coming up is reassurance. Mm-hmm. Like I, finding couples where one partner is really wanting reassurance that the relationship is going to come first that there's going to be some type of commitment there, that we're going to be in this together, and that's where they want some more predictability versus the spontaneous first person is like, no, that's a given, we're just going to do this. And and they they don't really have a lot of interest in talking about security Mm -hmm. because it's not so much an issue for them. They really do feel like, no, I'd be okay. Like Even if this relationship doesn't work out, this trip doesn't work out, I'm going to be okay. They don't feel a lot of fear there. At least they're not conscious of a lot of fear. And so there can be this push-pull where one person is wanting more reassurance and then the other person is judging them as needy, emotionally needy. And they can feel overwhelmed by the neediness that they're projecting. You see where I'm going with this? Oh, man. Yeah, I can really feel it in my body as you're talking about it. Yeah, so that's probably the most common one. It's really about the relationship. Yeah, and that can be an intense one to face. Yeah. So what I would do here with a couple is get them to look eye to eye and really give them the space to speak about their core fear and let the other person see them in that. Because odds are they they really haven't before. Mm -hmm. Because when when I really see you or a person sees their partner really stepping into their, their fear or their pain, there's a natural intuition to have compassion and understanding on on a deep emotional level. Mm-hmm. But if you're not able to do that and it's just arguing at the intellectual level, it doesn't really happen. And one of those experiences, really connecting to the other person's deep desire, deep fear, is, is long-lasting and healing for the other person as well. As you're saying that, I just I feel a lot of gratitude for the work that we've done as a couple because... And I actually was reading something on Facebook recently in a comment thread where someone was talking about how they feel like people use emotion to manipulate each other. And yet when I hear you, Bryce, talk about it, what I see is, no, being able to show up in your emotion in a really clean way. And yeah, it might take having a witness. It might take having a coach or a therapist present, someone who can really help create a container where you can just feel feel the true emotion for what it is. And be able to go there in the presence of your partner. Yeah, we'll forget probably 99% of our little disagreements and snags that we get in. But the, the 1% we'll remember is, is those real deep emotional connections where, where the other person was vulnerable. And those really lock in and we remember those. So, so it's like efficiency comes to mind here too. Mm-hmm. Like only a few of those going there a few times can really create this memory of like, oh yeah, that's what it's like for this person. Mm -hmm. When I say, oh yeah, it doesn't matter, we'll figure it out. Like I remember, I can go back to like, oh yeah, this is really challenging for them. This really instills a lot of fear here. Yeah, so you start showing up for your relationship in a way that's really considering the other person without having to disconnect from what matters to you. 
And that really brings us to the to the integration piece. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking like safety and security coming out of this where I'm like, oh yeah, I might want things to go one way, but I'm also like, oh yeah, isn't that, Jen, isn't this isn't this really tough for you? And immediately you can be like, oh yeah, he sees me. Mm-hmm. He gets me here. Yes. Like, okay, how are we going to sort this out? Instead of like, I want it this way. And Jenny, like, can you just stop with your stuff here? Mm-hmm. It can be, feel extremely threatening and dismissive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I like that. Because as you say that, I think our actually our most natural state is to be balanced. Because again, you can't actually have one without the other. So... When I go and I do a yoga class, for example, I have to have structure. I have to have poses that put me into different positions and utilize different muscles, either contraction of muscles or opening of muscles. And it takes poses in order to access that. And then within a pose, I can change something. I can adjust it. I can turn a different way. I can, you know, there's all sorts of spontaneity that can happen when there's structure. And probably vice versa, that there's a lot of structure that you can start to put together from the experience of play and spontaneity and learning, like what actually feels good? What do I like? What do I not like? How do I take that experience and start to create more structure that's useful? The two are, there really are two sides of one coin. You cannot ultimately separate the two. And so being able to come into integration with it in a way that really works And when we separate them in our minds and we create a duality, it really creates suffering inside of ourselves. And when we do that in our couple, we we can create a lot of suffering as well. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So it's really, I mean, when it comes down to it, it's really simple stuff. It can easily be worked with, but you have to have a frame of reference here. You have to have some language and understanding to be able to talk about it because you might be fighting about the trip that's happening over and over and over until you get that hey, we just have some differences in how we're looking at this first. And there, there are ways to, to integrate. Yes. It's funny when it clicks for me, all of a sudden it seems so easy and so simple. But sometimes the work to get to that place to where it seems easy is, is rough and it's hard. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, because it can challenge our very like protective strategies. Yeah, what if my way isn't the best way? I mean, this is this thing that I'm constantly evaluating with me is is I think my way is the best way and to be humbled constantly and to see that there's room for growth there's room to integrate to do it better mm-hmm. yeah I love that that's all for me how about for you yeah it's feeling pretty good Jen yeah very cool that's it so we've made it through core difference number three and we'll be back soon with the other two all right take care everyone bye bye bye